Amen. Glory, glory. Hallelujah. Amen. As we are moving back, if you join with me to the book of Colossians, Paul's letter uh, to the church in Colossae, we are back to completing our walk through Colossians. So after we celebrated Easter, we celebrated his passion, we celebrated also us being able to be a blessing to Haiti, going over Compassion Ministries. Now we're going to pick back up in Colossians. Where we left last left off in Colossians, we were dealing with how we want to live in a new life, how we want to be transformed and be changed. And so how fitting was the song to say, since I lay my burdens down, that we realize that we keep our eyes up to the, to the skies, to the heavens of the new life. And so therefore we lay down the old life, we lay down that stuff, lay down those burdens, those stress, and we put on our new clothes, put on our new apparel to be more like Christ. And so since Paul has already got them to realize that we should be living for Christ, living a life that's worthy and obedient and acceptable unto him, now we're going to move into some practical or uh, ethical or morals rules that we can apply as Christians that we should apply uh, to our lives. Amen. 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 I'll give, I'll give this time. Amen. If there's anybody outside the ushers want to let in, you can let them in at this time. Amen. Amen. I saw some walking. All right. Praise God. Let us turn our hearts for, to God for a word uh, of prayer. Amen. You can still let them in us as I see some. Amen. Father, Lord, we thank you, Almighty God, for you this day. We thank you, O God, for your word. Father, we ask that you open up the eyes of our hearts to see you more clearly in the calling of your life, that we see how we apply this word into our lives and to our hearts. Minister to us, O God. Fix what needs to be fixed, O God. Break off what needs to be breaking off. Shape us and mold us and form us in your image that we be more like you, we pray. Amen. 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 Looking at, at Colossians third chapter, looking at this 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 passage verses eighteen all the way to the end of the third chapter, then also that first verse in the fourth chapter, we want to look at. I thank God for our scripture reading that was done already in our devotional reading. And so, if you could just keep your Bible open with me, I'll, I'm gonna keep us right. Then I guarantee I'm gonna read from the text. But to get into it, but I, I want us to grasp today house rules. Can someone say house rules? house now, when you hear house rules, it may imply different pictures to someone's mind. House rules may have you thinking of games played in the house and how the house rules are played by whenever uh, the game is played. So someone might come visit your house and if they don't know the house rules. You first got to introduce them to the house rules. And so these same house rules are explained to any guest so that they should know how to play the game. So the house rules are expressed to them to understand to them that if you're going to play my game in my house, these are the rules. Anybody have house rules when you're playing a game of spades? Amen. Now you might find out some people play spades differently. You're going to find out some have two jokers, some have four jokers. You know, you're going to find out. You're going to find out how some, some bid the first hand, the first hand plays itself. Everybody got their own different rules. And so you play by those rules. So you can't get mad when you lose because you play by their rules. Everybody's playing by the same rules. 
So these same house rules are, are, are explained and may be suggested to many when guests are coming. Also, house rules may also bring to someone's mind the rules for children to abide by the, set of the, by the head of the household. And the head of the household oftentimes can be the mother or the father to explain to them, as long as you live under my roof, you're going to abide by my rules. For these are the house rules. And so when you have established house rules, everybody should be clear and understanding that when they come into the house, these are the rules to go by. Right. Some house rules are written, some are unwritten. You know, we have some unwritten rules. You come into the house, you take your shoes off. <laughs> it's not written, but you see shoes at the door, you say, oh, I'll take my shoes off here at the door. You know, we have house rules. So may I suggest that Paul, as he writes to the church in Colossians, that he's letting them know that he is putting house rules in order that not, that, that not only to be set for their culture and for them, but also that should be set for their heavenly father, for his eternal kingdom. The goal to abiding to these rules is to please the father. If you notice in some of those rules, it points out as it is fitting of a Christian, as it pleases the Father. These rules are not done to please that person who the rules are, are necessarily connected to, but these rules are applied to please the Father of the house. Amen. Understand that He's our Heavenly Father. And if He's our Heavenly Father, we want to go by our Father's rules. And, and you understand, as, as a parent says to their child, if you want to be in my house, you want to abide by these rules. Anybody here want to be in the Father's house? Well, in the, father's, in the Father's house, he has some rules, too. And so as we look out, the Father's house is not necessarily confined to windows and doors and roofs and attics, but it is confined by a celestial, spiritual, celestial, cosmic, something supernatural, the kingdom of God. And, and the kingdom of God, we are all a part of who know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. So right now, we in the house. And so since we are in the house, we have some rules that we need to apply. So first, look how Paul addresses these rules. These rules are always a, a sense of contention because it always seems it picks on the woman who's married. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, it begins, wives, submit to your husband. Corinthians tells Paul that the women are, the man is the head of the house as Christ is the head. And so it always seems that it's picking on the women. But yet, if you look at the text, it's really not that bad. Because if you look at how he's showing the parallel and the connection, who the woman is to submit to is to be similar to Christ. And if, if you are submitting who's similar to Christ, then you are submitting to someone who's loving, who's forgiving, who's caring, who's gentle, who's going to provide, who prays. What's the problem with that? But I got a few amens. But the problem is because many times that's not what they're submitting to. But we're going to get to that in a moment. We're going first things first. First rule he is says, wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. First qualification is you first are married. I'll say that again. First qualification is that you are married. Some women are acting like they're married, and they're submitted to someone who they're not married to, and wonder why they got problems, because they're submitted to who they're not married to, and that's not fitting to the Lord. 
So first and foremost, before you put yourself in the position of submission, you need to be in the position at the altar saying, I do. And once that has been established, then there's responsibilities that follow. Submitting suggests to us that one is under authority. Does not mean one is in bondage, one is enslaved, that one does not have any right or lost their identity, but one acknowledges leadership that is in place. For what it shows to us that the issue that many times has been suggested that the woman's supposed to do, the wife of the husband's supposed to do whatever the husband says without able to talk or communicate, but that's not submission, that's dictatorship. And so when the submissiveness is done in a proper setting, what that does, that it is encourages that husband to be more of the man of God that God has called him to be. There's nothing worse than for a wife to submit to a husband and give him the opportunity to make the decision and he's not ready to step up to the plate. And then once that husband has been put in that position, I guarantee they're not going to let it happen again. They're going to be ready the next time. The wife comes and says, what should we do? Go ready to have an answer and understand and realize that she looked upon me. She's trusting me to make the decision that I'm better be ready to make the decision. But you see how when the wife puts the man in that position, it allows him to freely operate and act in that position. But then again, again, we talk about how who she will be submitting to is one who should be loving and caring as Christ. But I'll get to that in a moment. So the principle that Paul states to us is setting an example that God has established. We can find this that in Corinthians first chapter 11, uh, sorry, first Corinthians 11 chapter verse 3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. What Paul also shows us that this marriage relationship is based on a kingdom principle. And when it's done in obedience to the Lord, it pleases the Lord. Therefore, when wives are being submissive to their husbands, it's fitting to the Lord. Why? Because the husband should be submissive to the Lord as, as Jesus showed us he was submissive to the Father. Okay, let's look at the submission aspect first. They came after Jesus saying that they did not believe who he was, that he said he was. And he simply let them know that if I do not do what I say, then don't believe me. But he goes on to say, I only do what the Father has told me to do. And so if you got a problem with that, take it up with the Father. <laughs> and how much more to, uh, to us that when something is done right, we should not have a problem with it. We may not agree with it. We may not like how it's being done, but what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And so you can see clearly the Pharisees who thought they were educated enough telling Jesus that he's not doing what's right. But he says, I'm only doing what my father has told me to do. Can I drive this home? That wise when you are submitting to your husband, your husband might feel like you're doing what he said, but you can let him know I'm only doing what my father has told me to do. Am I talking to somebody here this morning? That we put it in the position that we put too much authority on one person, not looking at who has the ultimate authority. Oh, God is going to hold everybody accountable for their job and their position. So when we do what we're supposed to do, it's amazing how God works everything else out. Because the man is going to be held accountable, the husband's going to be held accountable, just as the wives are being held accountable. But sometimes we get caught about everybody else's job. 
We're not doing our own job. And so when we see how the relationship works, that the man should be the head and the wife is, in, is, 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 is under the head, we tend to realize that both the husband and the wife are both under Christ. So as long as Jesus stands over us, we can understand. Y'all catch that? If Jesus is over us, we can understand. Because we stand under him, and we can understand that he's the head. Because he's over us. And if he's over us, then we understand that what we're doing is not about us. But make sure that we're pleasing him as we serve one another. And so when you look at this, this affirmation that he gives to them, wives, submit to your husband as it's fitting for those who belong to the Lord. The, the second qualification, those who belong to the Lord. We should realize that a marriage in a Christian household, in a Christian church, in the, Christ, in the body of Christ should, be look, should look different than a marriage outside in the world. That it says, as fitting as those who belong to the Lord. So not only are you married, but you belong to him. So therefore, your marriage should reflect him. And so if it's reflecting him, then we should see caring and submissive, giving and take, forgiving and allowance, understanding and patience. Because it's not, not what Christ shows to us. If he is our Lord and we are his king, then we can, when we surrender and submit to him, just as Jesus told to the Father that he was in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Same way in a marriage relationship, we understand it's not my will, but thy will be done. So wives being submissive to their husband is fitting to the Lord, for it shows their acknowledgement of God and his rules for the kingdom. Now, the issue of submission is not a, 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 a sign of loss of identity or a lack of rights and respect. The submission comes from showing respect to God's role for a man and honoring your husband as the head of household. This will even help the husband who may not be acting like the head, but if the wife speaks words of encouragement and acknowledges the husband as a head, this will help him to live this out. Now, those who have problems with this house rule should take a survey. See if the following things in, the, in your environment improves if you conduct yourself this way. See if you become submissive and you acknowledge and you uplift and you encourage the husband to be the head of the household. See if the environment changes and shifts. See if how he treats you changes. See if how he greets you changes because the way you, you, you treat him has changed. Sometimes we might be looking, I'll change when he's changed, but sometimes it might be you. Who has to make that change first? But in you making that change to be in the position that God has called you, he does not leave the husband alone. He moves right on to them and look, he's a little bit stringent and harder on the husbands. He says, husband, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Oh, God, have mercy. Not only does he have a qualification here that you ought to love your wives, and any times you see that word love, there's a big understanding. Husbands are instructed to love their wives and never treat them harshly. Some translations may say not to embitter them. This instruction now shows how a man is to love his wife. And when God calls us to love anyone, we are to love as he commands us to love. This love is an unconditional and not an emotional love. 
this love is also between, is, is special between a husband and a wife, is to reflect the covenant relationship that Jesus has with his church. This is no ordinary love. This love should be gentle, romantic, encouraging, and peaceful. This love will guide the husband to do things to make the wife happy, peaceful, joyful, and loving. The negative aspect when there's lack of love, the negative command is to make sure that the husband is not acting in an unloving way, which will end up hurting his wife. Y'all see that there in the text? The positive is you love your wife, but the, uh, the, um, the negative is that if you're not loving your wife, you're being unloving, then you're causing her to become bitter. Lost somebody. Y'all got quiet on me. The wife will be hurt by the husband not being loving, and this will result by her becoming bitter, becoming resentful, becoming unloving towards her husband only because of her husband turning on her. And so when you look at how, first and foremost, the, co the commandment to the husband is to love his wife. You know God tells us to love one another. And when he gives us the, the command to love one another, there's no qualification. Says, do not love them only when you're going to get what you want to get. You don't love them only when you're trying to go out on a special night that you're going to be kind of loving that week so you can get out on the weekend. <laughs> it's not, I'm only going to be loving because it's close to your birthday, your anniversary, or Valentine's Day. I'm, I'm, I'm going to act loving. No, no, no. There's no qualification there. It means every single day while you have breath in your lungs that you ought to be loving your wife. And when God commands us to love, it's unconditional, means that even when I don't feel like it, I'm going to be loving. Even when, check this out, when the wife is not being submissive to the husband, does not say the husband stop loving. It says the husband still needs to be loving towards his wife. And not cause it, because even when she's not submissive, the husband might need to check himself and say, am I being loving enough? Because if I'm not being loving enough, maybe that's why she became embittered. That's why she became hard. And that's why she became uh, resentful because something I'm doing is not helping her. Y'all quiet on me. Because if we look at how we, what you are supposed to do, your love will open her up. And when you open her up, it's amazing how she's going to do whatever you say. Because she loves you the way you're loving her. But when you're not loving towards somebody, they don't care what you have to say. Am I talking to somebody here? Anybody know that there's been a time where you didn't feel loving towards your other and they started talking to you like whatever? You weren't feeling loving, so you didn't care what they had to say. But when you love them, you, you sit down, you got time for them. You say, what you got to say? I got time. What's going on? Let's go for a walk. Let's talk about it. But if the game is on. Can it wait? <laughs> what about halftime? I'll give you halftime. No, no, no. If you love somebody, boy, you'll sacrifice. You'll give up what you need to let them know you come first. Isn't that what the, Jesus showed his love to us? That he said, I'll give up my life for you. So can't you give up a TV show? A sports game? A night out? Because not only do they need to hear it, they need you to show it that, yes, you are my priority. And so look how I said how it works together. So when you make them a priority and you're loving on them, it's easy for them to trust your leadership. Because they realize that you have my good in mind. And since you have my good in mind, I can sit under you. I can trust you. I can sit back and say wherever you want to go. 
I know we about to get lost, but I'm gonna let you drive anyway. We, you're able to do that. Because you know you love him, you know he loves you, and you know when he get lost, he's gonna ask you, can you help me out? You see how that love works? That I love you enough that I can put up that you're about to mess up. But that's who I marry, that's who I love, and I'm gonna treat you that way. Because there's no qualifications in it. You can say God says for me to submit, but he don't know who I married. Yes, he does. <laughs> he knows all the issues that you got. He knew before you got them. Same way when God says for you to love your wife, say, so God don't know who my wife is. Yes, he does. He knew about her issues too before, he, before you met her. And he's still telling you to love her because he what? He does the same thing with us. All of our issues, all of our struggles, all of our problems, all of our bad habits, all of the things that get on our last nerves, he, he puts, up, puts up with us as we put up with others, so he's showing us. I'm not asking you to do anything I have not done for you. So when we see this aspect of, of the wife who submitting to her husband and the husband being loving towards his wife, then this shows to the world why there should not be a 50% divorce rate in the church. And can I throw this out? This one isn't for free. It's not in the text. So you say, how did he get it? Because I'm talking about marriage. Divorce should never be an option. If it says, wives, submit to your husbands as it's fitting to the Lord, and husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly, then if we're doing this to honor God, then you know God's against divorce. And so if God's against divorce, why should that be our conversation when we're talking to one another? So I'm going to bring up what God's against. Then that's now not submitting to his will because Jesus said, what God, what God has put together, let no man put asunder. Because the world is always open to breaking agreements. But God does not break his covenant. God said, I love you this much. How much do you love me, God? I'm doing the die for you. And since I died for you, my, I'm, uh, this is what else I'm going to do. I'm going to defeat death for you. And not only am I going to defeat death, but I'm going to show how I defeat death by everybody's going to see me rise from the grave and I will be exalted at the right hand of the Father just to let you know that anytime you're in trouble, I'm interceding on your behalf, even when you get on my last nerves. And if you don't think you get on God's last nerves, just think about the last time you sinned. That's on his last nerves. As, as somebody smacking when you're at the dinner table, Somebody cutting you off when you're in the, in the grocery line. Someone just keep on saying a, a word wrong and it's cutting your teeth on you. And that gets on your last nerves. Think about it, every time you break his law. That's getting on his last nerves. That irritates him too. That's why he died for it. It hurt him so much. He says, i got to make a difference for this so I will provide for it. So some of us need to make a difference to somebody else. Say that it hurts me so much that I need to make allowance and love on you enough to show you how you can get out of this so I can love you some more. And so when we see this, the rule for the wife and the rule for the husband makes for a happy household. Because this love is unconditional, this submissiveness is unconditional. And so since it's both unconditional, the same thing for the husband that applies to the wife means is that even when the wife is not doing what she ought to do, the husband, that's your, then it's your job to do what needs to be done. She may not be loving towards you, but the Bible tells you it's your job to be loving. And we know shown so, so up, shown up, shown up, you go to your job at work. And if you don't do your job, what's going to happen? You're going to get fired. 
And, and you can't say, well, everybody else is not doing their work, and, and they keep them fired. They're gonna, they sure they're going to let you go. If they let them go on for so long, and you mess up one time, they're going to say, there's something wrong with you. And so if our job is looking at us in a critical way, how much more are we going to lower the standards for God and say, God, well, I'm not going to do my job because she's not doing her job. It's the accountability that we didn't realize, Lord, I'm doing this to give you glory and give you honor. I'm not doing it to please myself necessarily, but it will please me because I am pleasing you. And so this narrative command is to make sure that the husband is not doing things to hurt his wife, to spite his wife, to injure his wife. The, the, but it's, it's a result that will happen, but yet it's a result that can be avoided when the husband does the first thing he needs to do, love his wife. And then look at the tradition. Now he has dealt with the wives. He has dealt with the husbands. Now he's talking to the children. Y'all see that? And what I like how he says here, children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Look at children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Now that the husband and wife, they're happy, they're getting along together, here come the children. First, it commands the children to, how long do they need to obey? Always. How long are they a child? Always. <laughs> so no matter what, as long as you got a mother and father, you a child. And you should always obey your parents. And so we look into this, this precedent that now Paul is teaching. This is nothing new because we find that there in Exodus, right? He gave the commandment to the children of Israel. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives. You find that in Exodus 20, chapter verse 12. So we see that this rule that's being established is showing us that God has already established this rule that the children are to honor, are to obey, to respect their parents. But now look at the shift here. Obey your parents for this what pleases the Lord. So when you obey mother and father, you're not only honoring them, but you're honoring our heavenly father because you want to be in the kingdom. So you understand the kingdom principle, the kingdom rules. But look what it gives now. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Wow. So what is going on again that a parent should not be overruling on a child? In the standpoint of having a dictatorship and as if the child has no rights and using them as slaves and making them do things that they should not be doing, but yet they should be loving on them, nurturing them, teaching them, growing them. And look what it says here, that fathers. Now, what I'm pointing out here, that we talk about house rules are set by the heads of the house, right? And definitely in this time and this culture, the father was the head of the house. We live in a time society now when we talk about head of the house, and most of the time we think of a single mom. And so in this text, if it was in the time we was written, he would say, moms, do not aggravate your children. But yet the father was in the proper place, in the proper role. He's letting them know that in your proper place, in your proper role, in your proper position, that you need to ensure and make sure that you're not doing things that aggravate your child, that they want to run away from home. That they want to become rebellious. That they want to go out and do everything under the sun just because you drove them angry and mad and they want to rebel again because that's what they do. And, and, and so that's why I think about how, how simple things go. There was a, a, a hotel on the waterfront, and, and, and so you could, you could fish right there. And so they had a sign out saying, do not fish from the hotel room. People kept on fishing. 
They removed that sign, people stopped fishing. See, what happens is that when we give too many rules and we try to govern everything, then people say, oh, I'm going to break this rule, see if I can get away with it. But when you know when to step back and see if they can govern themselves and they can control themselves, you'll be amazed how they will do the things that you thought they would do. And so we too need to realize that a parent needs to be careful that they don't over litigate, over put laws and rules and stipulations on a child and not allow that child to govern and to grow and mature and using every opportunity as a teaching moment, not a scolding moment, not a tell you moment, not a whip you moment, but a moment to love on them and show them, hey, did you see how that worked out wrong? So do you understand how we can do better? And now you know what to do the next time you're facing that circumstance, that situation, and they can understand, so, oh, I got it, mother, or I got it, daddy. Thank you for showing that to me. Because oftentimes, the child knows they're wrong. They don't need you to tell them again. So at that moment of time, instead of aggravating them to get into saying, you know what child would always say, you never listen to me, you don't hear me, you don't trust me, you don't care. And when they say that, they are showing their hurt, that they're feeling aggravated, they're feeling tense because there's something that we have done at one moment at one stage that makes them feel that way. So now we've got to find out how can I remove that emotion, that feeling, so the next time I talk to them, they don't have their guard up. Same thing then to the husband and wife, right? If something's wrong, something must have, we have done something to arise up that feeling that our harmony is gone. And so we got to get back. Same thing when you're playing a game, right? When the game does not, if you're playing the game by house rules, and somebody breaks the house rules, doesn't that mess up the game? And same thing when we are not doing what God has called us to do, it's amazing how it messes up our household. And this leads us to our roadblocks. Because we want to have house rules, and when you have house rules, it's in, it's in our house. But sometimes many of us have realized, have you ever left home from work, and you're on your way to home, but you can't get there because there's a detour? And the reason why there's a detour because they're working on the road. And so there's some roadblocks, and these roadblocks are preventing you from getting where you want to be. And that's what we need to realize that, there's, that in our house, we want peace, we want tranquility, we want comfort. And there's roadblocks that are preventing us. To getting that and one some of these roadblocks that are preventing us is our pride that we've done this for so long our way so why do I got to change now and so instead of submitting and, and letting somebody else lead us guide us and direct us and share something new with us we always got to be the one to be right we got to be the one to say something we got to have the last word and this is a roadblock that's blocking us from having effective communication Another roadblock that comes into place that just as when they have those signs of their signs in our lives that we're not obeying. There's a sign that you should have been quiet a long time ago, but you kept on talking. And since you kept on talking, you missed what everybody else was trying to tell you. And I wish I could bring it in here, but I forgot to bring it. I wish I could bring it in America. Sometimes we don't know what we look like. And that's a sign that sometimes we are so ugly. We think we look so good. That if somebody could videotape us or take a picture of us at that moment, at that time, we'll see how ugly we really are. Because if we think about it, that sometimes we don't know how ugly we are because in the heat of the moment, we're doing what we want to do. But after everything said and done, somebody does that to you, you want to tell them how ugly they are, but you forgot. You just got done doing the same thing. These are the roadblocks that we don't see ourselves. We don't see the signs that what I am putting out was already in me. And, and, and another roadblock is this, that we don't want to believe is this. The roadblock is this, that what you hate in somebody else 
is what's already in you. But we don't hate it in us because we don't see, but we see it in them. And so when we are not loving, when we're not obeying our parents, when we're not being submissive, we're pointing out to that, I don't want to do it because I see this in you, but we might want to check and say, is that in me? Am I forgiving enough? Am I patient enough? Am I listening enough? Because you always tell someone else, they're not listening. Am I listening? You always tell somebody, they get on my last nerves, oh, did I, did I know what, what bothers them? And when we start opening ourselves up and realize that I don't have it all together, I think I got it all together, but we know that's why we need a mirror. Have anybody got dressed up, you put something on, and you looked in the mirror, and you said, I don't like it. But if you didn't look in that mirror, you'd have walked out thinking you look good and found out, like, why did I walk out the house looking like this? And so, catch this, catch this. The mirrors that we have, the mirrors that we have is already in the house. When you look at your wife, when you look at your husband, you should be able to see how you're doing. If your husband, your wife is stressed out, then how are they, why are they stressed out? I, I read somewhere that it said the greatest joy of a man's reflection is to be in his wife. And this man said he was at a conference and he came home, looked at his wife. Have you heard that great thing? And he looked at his wife and what he saw was tiredness. She, he saw that she was tired, but God, going with him to conference after conference, things after things, and she was doing so much for him. He was doing so little for her. And he says, wow, he said, I realize that. So he had to change what he was doing to change her continence. Did you realize that he said she was doing something wrong? He realized what he was doing wrong. Y'all catch that? So many times in lives, we want to blame somebody else. The reason why you feel like it is because you don't do this. But he took the time and says, what can I do to change, to change her kind of So when we look at each other's faces, we should be able to see and see if something's wrong with their face, then we need to look at what do I need to do to change their reception. So next time I look at them, I see you and I receive something new. I see a smile on their face. I didn't see that yesterday. Maybe I'm doing something better today. How can I improve today so they'll smile again tomorrow? These are the things that we need to do. Because if you look at we get to the servant and the master, I'm going to summarize the servant and the master aspect because I want to highlight what he says at the end. If you look at me at verses uh, uh, 22 to 25, it says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Y'all see that? So whatever you do, you should do it as you're working for who? The Lord, not for people. As I come to the close of this text, because I could sure enough spend another half an hour looking at the master of the same relationship, but I hope you can draw this conclusion that I want to bring to your attention here, that he talked about at the time they have a master and a slave, and he's pointing out how the slave should work for the master, and the master should not be hard on the slave. But can I point out that we too have a master? And our master is the Lord, and he's not hard on us, is he? And he wants us to do things that's fitting and pleasing to him. And so, therefore, as we look at the master and the slave relationship, we should look at our relationship to the father, that when I'm serving my wife or I'm serving my husband or I'm serving my children, I am not just only serving them, but I'm also serving the Lord because he is my master. So everything I do, I do for his glory. Can someone say glory? And so if I do it for his glory, even when they don't thank me, even when they don't pat me on the back, even if they don't give me a call to say, are you the best mom, best dad, best child? You can say, God's pleased with me because I'm doing it for his glory. But I'm going to let you know that sooner or later you're going to get a car because if you're doing what God calls you to do, it's amazing that later down, down the line, it might hit them that, you know what, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Because I so enough didn't buy my dad the greatest dad teacher, but I tell him every day now that he's alive. You're the best dad I ever had. 
because it took me some time as a child to realize that he was over me and he was looking out for me when I was trying to run out like a chicken with my head cut off outside. But now that I realize he was looking out for me, I can reflect and say, man, my God, Dad, you've been good to me. Mother, you've been good to me. And so we see that. So I'm going to encourage you that sometimes you may not feel like whom you're loving on, who you're serving, that they are appreciating what you're doing. But day after day, as time goes by, they might reflect a little bit that it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And so what I'm trying to tell you is just endure the hardship while you can. Knowing that you're not doing it for them, but you're doing it for your master in heaven, the Lord. And realize that greater is your reward in heaven than here on earth. Knowing that there's going to be times that they don't care what you're doing, what you're saying, but God sees you doing and striving and working your hardest to do the best you can. Because sometimes we measure our success based on things that are not measurable. We measure our success on what we think a marriage should look like. And so we look at somebody else's marriage and say, I wish my marriage was like that. And since it's not like that, it's not successful. We look at somebody else's child and say, why is their child excelling in class, but my child is not excelling in class? That's not successful. And so, therefore, we look at what other people have, and we want to base it on that. But can I stop and tell you that that's not your house? (laughs) Tell your neighbor, stay in your house. So when you stay in your house and you go by your house rules, it's amazing how your house is going to come together. Because every house is different. But when we allow God to rule our house and we follow God's rules, it's amazing how we can have peace in our house, knowing that when I'm, that I made it through that detour, I made it through the roadblocks, I'm going to a little house on a prairie, not a nightmare on M Street. So we, we, want, we know we want it for a show that when we get off those roadblocks, we move, and that we walk into a house that we want to be in. And so that's up to us. To look at us and look at those robots, look at our pride, look at the signs, look at ourselves, and look, and look to see ourselves and others and say, God, am I doing the rules that you asked me to do? And we have to tell those signs when things are not working out, stop blaming the other person, start looking at yourself and saying, what do I need to do different? And the beautiful thing is this, that you're not left alone. So you can just turn to the Lord in prayer. And he can guide you and direct you. Now, here's an extra bonus to the husbands. Husbands, First Peter tells us that many of our prayers are not answered. Many of our prayers are not answered because we're not praying for our wives. So pray for your wife. And it's amazing how things start opening up because now as you're praying, because this is what prayer does. Prayer does not change who you're praying for, but prayer changes who's praying. So the more you pray, the more you're going to change. Because the more you pray, the more you're trying to be like him. And the more you're trying to be like him, the more you are submitting to him. And the more you're submitting to him, the more you're allowing the Holy Spirit to take you over, to train you up, so that you can serve the great master, our Lord and our Savior. And as I conclude with this master and the servant, we saw the greatest master become the greatest servant. And the greatest servant sold us his greatest thing, that he died for us. And so we're serving one another, and we got to be willing that it might cost my life. Am I willing to give that? to serve whom I love, whether it be my children, whether it be my spouse, am I willing to give that love, to give that sacrifice of my time? Because if we can give overtime and sacrifice our time for our job, Lord have mercy. How much more do our family need our time that we need to make that sacrifice and go into that? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come right now, God. We are grateful, God, just for you loving us. 
And Father, Lord, we ask right now that we want to repent for times that we allow roadblocks to block us from having the house that we wanted to have, that we have not been effective in the relationships, Lord, as we wanted to be. But Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have not left us comfortless, but you sent your Holy Spirit to guide us, direct us, and keep us so that we can do better, God, that we can be better husbands, we can be better wives, we can be better children, we can be better servants as we serve the great master, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, there might be someone here who does not know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that they can confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and he died on the cross for their sins and rose from the grave to defeat death. Lord, I pray that they can see as those who celebrated baptism today that they too can celebrate that same covenant, that same uh, reflection of salvation to know to be dead to this world and alive in you. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray all God's children say amen. Amen. Amen, amen. We could, hallelujah, we can give God a hand clap of praise, amen.